0: Hey everybody, welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty but the books are not. I'm Trevor Clifford, this is Mark Gagné. How are you feeling today, Mark? I feel like a, a gift card for the bank. How are you feeling? Ooh, a gift card for the bank. That's like, or I redundant. don't even, I don't know <laughs> if anything can get shittier than that. Uh, I feel like a man with a plan. I uh, we I spent the holiday, we had a little holiday break, did we not? Oh yeah. And That's I spent the holiday spent the holiday season in London, of all places. Went back to where I was living for a little while because me and my fiancé were finishing her visa paperwork in London. So I had a sudden trip there. And, uh, you know, there are worse things than spending Christmas in London. It's a very Christmassy town. Was there snow? There was not snow, which actually I had, like, global warming on the brand when I was there because a lot of old, like, movies – I mean – do you think that there was more snow when we were kids yeah <laughs> or is it just that we're adults now and we're really like cynical i think we had i feel... a lot of uh
1: white christmases
0: because it was interesting we watched two different christmas movies in london um there's a classic like kids short um animation called the snowman that's very classic in the uk you hear this the song everywhere And in that original movie, it's like, oh, so super snowy and everything. And then they made a sequel in like the 2000s or something where there's like less snow. Like the kid is making a snowman, but he has to like gather like snow from around the neighborhood because it just doesn't snow as much anymore. And I was like, is this like a subtle hint that like the world is dying or am I just like kind of just reading politics into everything? (laughs) That's interesting. Hmm. But the holiday season is upon us, and uh, you recently told me. I, first of all, I bought a Christmas gift out of a new bookshelf for myself, but you said someone gave you a bookshelf. Is that true?
1: Yeah, yeah. My sister gave me a, a new bookshelf, one of those like uh, three tier uh, nice. black wood b- bookshelves. And because, uh, yeah, she saw my apartment and how it's just I got <laughs> <laughs> stacks, stacks. Of, of books everywhere. And uh, yeah, always looking for more space like that. But so I I filled it up already and I still it still looks messy around mm-hmm. here so uh I was thinking about um a purge a purge <laughs> Don- donating some stuff so kind of right yeah, I mean it you got
0: you got to give back to goodwill after all these years of trolling trolling the shelves Yeah yeah there's so there's a lot of books I've read that I probably don't think
1: I'll read again or ones that I never got to and don't think I ever will you know Right. that's part of it too um,
0: is there something about donating a book like i feel like i'm a little bit selfish in terms of my books like if there's a book that i really enjoyed i don't want to let go of it but shouldn't there be some sort of charitable sense like oh if i give this book back to goodwill someone's going to pick it up and it's going to be just as amazing for them but i don't really i don't have those feelings i want to hoard my books like Smaug the dragon yeah well there's no
1: assurance that it's going to get to the the right hands or any hands so <laughs> that's true that's part of it.
0: Yeah. So give me a, give me your short list of what's on, on the purge list because this is, this is interesting. Also, like bookshelves are very personal for, for mega readers such as ourselves, like a new bookshelf setup. I have a new setup too right now. And um, it's very personal. It changes, it changes things.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you have um, a
0: shelf going for what has been podcasted?
1: Yeah, I used to have – well, that's what my sister saw. I had them stacked in the corner of my, like, living room. And it was almost up to the ceiling for all the books we've covered this year, so uh, I have those in a, a their own their own shelf now. So
0: yeah, I got a I'll shelf going too. That's that's the podcasted shelf. That they, that's basically banishing it into a, into a sort of a limbo. If yeah.
1: You will. <laughs> so what I, I got um, a real preliminary look at what I'm probably gonna donate, but here, here here's what I figured I'd do. I'm going to present present it to you in my case for getting rid of it. And you can either, you know, Roman Coliseum rules, you know, give me the thumbs up or thumbs down. Okay. <laughs> uh, first one here I've got is uh, an old one. I don't know if I, if I uh, like stole this from high school or whatnot, but I got the Hound of the Baskervilles
0: here. The uh, Sherlock hmm, Holmes Sherlock story. Holmes, right. Am I ever going to read it again? Probably not. The Hound of the Baskervilles is also one of the worst episodes of the Sherlock series with Benedict Cumberbatch. So, so that gives yeah. it a stain for me as well. I always, did, I always hated that episode. Um, <laughs> yeah, I. Okay, well, here's here's my question. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Does thumbs up mean that I approve of the purge, or does thumbs down mean I'm giving the book a thumbs down and that you should purge it? Uh, I think thumbs down is purge. Okay, so thumbs down for Hound of the Baskervilles. I can I can get down with that. You're not going to read that. All right, that one's gone. And okay. it has that, there's like some minor factor of like, some kid is going to learn about Sherlock Holmes because he got your copy of Hound of the Baskervilles or whatever. Yeah, hopefully.
1: All right, next one I got is uh, Ken Follett.
0: Eye of the oh, Nature. yeah. Yeah, this guy is like, uh, he's a bookshelf guy. He's like I yeah. don't know anything about this guy, but he's like uh, what's that other guy we make fun of? No, I, Baldacci. I don't think a Baldacci. I think he's
1: more of a <laughs> he's like a Baldacci Tom Clancy kind of. So yeah, he's a spy, like a Tom Clancy. It's thriller. all about like
0: men in the military. This yeah, is the, no this problem. is the guy. This is the guy you buy before you go on a plane when you're a fifty-year-old man. Yeah, my, I never got
1: around to this one. Um, I think it was lent to me, and I probably should have. <laughs> I, I don't remember where I got it, but um, right. the, one of the problems with this one is it's like a it's like a spy thriller uh, about Nazis. So oh, on the okay. the cover and the side, there's a j- big swastika and like a ooh a dagger on it. So yeah, <laughs> you can't be walking
0: like, around with that. <laughs>
1: yeah. So this there's... one might go.
0: That is not a uh, Subway book for sure. You can't be walking around with swastikas all over your book. Yeah, let me see when it's from. It's from 1978.
1: Right. But yeah, I don't think I... I don't know. I'm not really big into, like, spy thrillers, I guess.
0: Yeah. Especially, like, modern, you know, I don't know, modern, like, military dramas, like the Tom Clancy type of thing. Aren't Tom Clancy's books, like, at this point, not even... Like, he, like, subcontracts to other people. Yeah, it might be Ghostwriter's. It's like Tom, no, it's not even a ghostwriter. It's like, at this oh, point, it's like, it's, it's like Tom Clancy, you know, ghost recon or whatever. And then it's like, by so-and-so. Well, he's like, he's a, he's making all those video games. He's like a coder
1: now, probably, or something. So yeah, I don't know. There's more money in, in video games. Probably. I, well, Ken Follett, I think, um, the book I always see is like the Pillars of the Earth. That one, that one's, mm-hmm. you
0: see that one a lot. Maybe
1: that one's better, better introduction or better, uh.
0: I picture his name in gold lettering. Is his name in gold lettering on your book? Uh, it's red in this one. Oh, okay. Because there's like but a bloody yeah. dagger. Then you definitely got a thumbs down. Purge it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Next one is uh,
1: A Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickens.
0: Ooh. See, I would be, I would be scared to chuck that because it's one of those things where it's like, I'm supposed to have read this, you know?
1: Yeah, but there's uh you could just watch the, I think there's a Garfield movie that's like the Tale of Two Kitties. Wow. And you can
0: get the story from that. You can get the whole thing from there. Maybe. <laughs> All of the subtleties that Dickens had in mind. <laughs> We've been talking about Garfield a lot on this podcast. Welcome to the Garfield podcast. Yeah. Um, do you have a book of Garfields? Uh, I think I used to. Yeah.
1: He had like a collection, I forget what it's called.
0: Anyway, the, I'm the saying... The fat book of Garfield or something. Like I'm that. giving a thumbs up to that because I'd be too... It. I think Dickens is one of those people where I haven't read like anything, but then I'm supposedly supposed to like respect how, how epic he is. So it's like, I wouldn't throw it away. Like, in fact, I think I actually have like a beat up copy of, you know, I think I went to like a yard sale or something and I got a Tale of Two Cities and something else where it was like... It costs, you know, like fifty cents, and I was like, I, I'm like supposed to buy this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this one I have is like a thrift, a Dover right. thrift. So you're giving the you're giving the thumbs down to ever reading Tale of Two Cities.
1: Well, I, I'll, I'll leave it up to you. Yeah, I think you gave it a thumbs up. So.
0: Oh, you you're actually you're literally taking my recommendations. You're gonna spare yeah, the yeah. ones that I. Oh, okay. Wow, this done, This became way more serious now. Yeah, yeah, I would give it a thumbs up, and and the reason why I would is because I feel like eventually, eventually, you are going to run into a reference that you are going to want it, like a Fraser reference or something, like a Fraser style reference. Um, that's why I keep a, Do you keep a copy of the Bible around? Yeah, yeah, I have one. Yeah, because it's so commonly referenced that you're like, okay, open up the Bible, see what they're talking about. So I feel like <laughs> Tale of Two Cities gonna be the same thing. So thumbs up. Okay, that one's spared all right next one um
1: david sadaris dress your family in corduroy
0: and denim yeah i feel like see david sadaris like to me and i could be having like the exact wrong impression here and maybe i'll maybe i'm putting my foot in my mouth but sadaris to me went from like some guy who's like he was like on the scene as someone who's really smart and then didn't he write that like children's book like go the fuck to sleep or something like that. I feel like he became like a New York Times coffee table book. Does I'm not sure sense? if that's
1: him or not. I mean, I I I think I started to read this one once and yeah, it's like short stories and it's like a uh, hum I mean, it's like I think he's a, like, you know, American humorist, but yeah. I don't know if it was for me. I think I he gets a lot I just never
0: know if I could like
1: take him seriously. I think he gets a lot of uh credit in my mind just for no reason, just for having that um that painting of the skeleton smoking a cigarette as one of yeah, his covers. That's that that's gave him. him so much. Yeah, like that's
0: Yeah. He's 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 traveling on the back of Van Gogh. Yeah, but it wasn't there was also some weird thing about David Sedaris like he like saved someone's life in his hometown or something. And then he was like in some weird news article where it was like local author David Sedaris like saved this dude from a car wreck or something. I can't really remember. But all I'm saying is, okay first of all, here's my judgment. I am letting you I'm giving you the purge. I'm giving you the thumbs down. And I think it's just because like I can't get a hold on David Sedaris at all like I don't know if he's like some novelist that I'm supposed to have read I don't know if he's like somebody who's like his books are 100 pages and it's like a pamphlet like for the New York Times I have no idea I know he did a master class I get those ads the master <laughs> class ads and it's like David Sedaris teaches you humor and I'm like I don't know if this guy has to teach me how to be funny but
1: yeah now take the Lynch class instead
0: yeah definitely take I would take the Lynch <laughs> class over the Sedaris class any day there's also a Herzog class so yeah all right. It's thumbs down.
1: Herzog was awesome in The Mandalorian, by the way. Um, Herzog was right, in The Mandalorian? One. Yeah. Yeah. You got to see he a it. voice. No, he's a full fledged like villain.
0: My God, that's yeah, revolutionary great. news to me.
1: No, I just finished it last night. It's amazing. You've seen his episode of Rick and Morty, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. Great voice. Great, great accent. Um, great voice. All right. Next one I got. Uh, this one I have read and I keep it around because it's really funny to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a big reference to the Turn of the Screw, Henry James. Um, right. The big I've made fun of, I think I've joked about this on the, the podcast before that uh, it's, you know, it's supposed to be like this scary or, you know, dark kind of story and it's not it just doesn't hit in that way mm-hmm. uh and the thing i make fun of is that it's like about someone telling a ghost story so like the beginning of the book is like allow me to tell you a ghost like a or someone they're like sitting around a house and they're telling stories that are supposed to be scary and uh-huh. one person wraps up theirs and this guy, other guy is like well i've got a really good one for you right. i just got to like go home and get it It's <laughs> so like the first <laughs> 10 pages are him like retrieving this story, and it just was completely filler, and it's hilarious. It's a hilarious introduction. Nice. And it was unnecessary, and then the story itself doesn't really deliver. So, hey,
0: do you think it's one of the? When is it from? Uh, eighteen hundreds. So, do you think it's one of those things where it was like, okay, this was like, this was I think like not a classic setup, but then it eventually became a classic setup. So now you read it, you read it now, and you're like, who cares? Yeah. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah I mean I, I could thumb, a... i can I can get on board with that thumbs down turn of the screw as long as you know that you're gonna remember the like eternal reference to the, like what it means like a turn of the screw or whatever, then you can just like forget about it
1: yeah, it's hilarious so i might I might like rip out the first couple pages and just keep those nice <laughs> <laughs> so then the, the next person who picks it up doesn't can just skip that part the hilarious diversion. <laughs> All right, that one's gone, too. So there's... Uh, all right, last one. Last one, um, okay. This is called Striptease by Carl Hyacin.
0: Whoa, I haven't and heard so of this, this person is... or this book. This it sounds book, like it's wrapped in cellophane or something.
1: Yeah, that's one of the reasons. Um, so I've heard this guy's very funny. This is from 1993. Um, I have another book of his that I think I wasn't considering... To get rid of the mm-hmm. reason why because i you know i wanted to get an introduction to this guy but the reason why i want to get rid of this one is it is a library book and it's got this hideous faded uh cellophane cover mm. and like it used to be like peach color and it looks so sun faded that it's almost white now hmm. and it's got like the uh dewey decimal tag and
0: Nice. Does it have the uh, thing in where like people had like checked it out or whatever? Uh, I'm route? not
1: seeing that. Oh wait, yeah, it does. So, first time taken out December '94. Last time January 2005 from the Dover Library in Vermont. Wow. But I have another book of his. Uh, I might check that one out first. And this one, it, it's also huge.
0: Yeah you, like the, yeah, you gotta get rid of this. Yeah, you gotta hardcovers are really tough. It's like you gotta Some of the only people that I own in hardcover is like, you know, when I had to buy a brand new pension or when I had to buy a brand new Murakami or something like that. But hardcovers are tough. Like I, I don't want them.
1: Yeah, I could see what it looks like underneath, but it's kinda taped.
0: Yeah. Thumbs down. Also, right. you know, you got to think about your bookshelf aesthetically as well. Can't have one of those. Can't have like an ugly toenail, you know. Yeah. <laughs>
1: okay. So, all right. Help me with clutter here. Might have to you, revisit this segment because uh, still pretty cluttered.
0: Yeah, I gave you. I gave you more purge. Did I give you more or less purge than you were expecting? I think we pretty much agreed.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think saving ones all right. If I do that. I feel like time, you and I would keep
0: again. the same the same method of tightness in our bookshelves yeah so yeah. five out of six gone okay five out of six we'll done i'll we'll make a run to goodwill into goodwill tweet at us if you use you know tale of two cities for a book report or something oh wait i'd made you keep tale of two cities yeah, yeah uh tweet at us if you use tale of the screw <laughs> turn, of, turn, the screw of, the, turn of the screw whatever on. the hell it's called i'm already forgetting all right so this week is episode 42 we're getting close to having a year full of podcasts once we get to how many weeks are there in a year 52 yeah so we're 10 away from a full year we took a smart a short break and uh we're back in it obviously took a break for the holidays and just to get our lives together so here we are in episode 42 um we also promise for our regular listeners to actually open up the email that we <laughs> tell you to write to at the end of every episode. We need to go over the email right now because I think we have a few uh, bips and bobs in there to go over for a future podcast. But um, for right now, we're just diving back into – I think you said that you had prepared this book before our short break, and mine is the same way. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. So we're a yeah. um, little bit removed from it, but yeah, give it a so, shot.
0: This book, the book that I'm doing this week is, um, I actually had it, this was one where like, as I was reading this book, it took me a while to read, it's about 400 pages, but it took me a while to read, and uh, it's not an easy book to get through, but it's a good book, and, um... I was just, I had so much podcast guilt around this book because it was one of those, it was again, that classic story of like, oh, it's not that long. I can probably finish it. And then I ended up going back into my archives like three or four times. Um, So I wasn't doing fresh books and I was like, this was like constantly on my mind. Um, But uh, let me first play a little introductory clip for you um, for my book this week. Are you ready? Yeah, let's hear it. Introductory audio clip. So here you go. Oh, my God. Honey, come here. It's here. What's here? My application to Harvard. Oh, my God. It's beautiful. Impressive letter H, huh? Oh, yeah. It's so very. Can I hold it? Be careful. Oh, it's heavy, heavy with importance. I feel dizzy. Make sure that's not just the sight of Robert Reed in the tight clown pants? Oh, geez. Let the record show that when my application to Harvard arrived, we were watching the Brady Bunch Variety Hour. You don't lose points for that, do you? I hope not. Man, this morning I was reading Dead Souls. It couldn't have come then. Well, we'll just tell people that's what you were doing and, and that I was studying a really big globe. They'll never know. You can keep a secret? Not so far, but there's always a first. Dead Souls and a really big globe. Deal. Oh, kayaks. All right, so can you give me a guess about where what show that comes from? I don't don't know the show.
1: Uh, we have an interesting selection this week.
0: I will say that <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So the show that that clip was just from, season three, episode three of a little show called Gilmore Girls, of from which I am a secretly super huge fan. Every time everyone finds out that I'm into Gilmore Girls, it's like out of left field. But I will um, credit a cool um, blog that I found called Gilmored, and it's an epic reading list with a Gilmore Girls twist. Um, today, my book uh, this week is *Dead Souls* by Nikolai Gogol, and okay. Uh, I, okay, I have to stop you. <laughs> okay, this
1: is uh pretty incredible that this happened.
0: Okay, because
1: uh, this is not planned, and this we have not we don't we purposely do not discuss what we're going to cover.
0: Okay, I is this a first?
1: Not, yeah, yeah. So I okay. think we need to completely trash the format today just because of how this worked out okay no problem i searched you know my shelves for something that was you know some short stories and Mm -hmm. i also covered this author (laughs) okay this author but not this book not the book same author
0: okay well i think we could, you know we don't need to completely trash the format i think you can tell me about but but this is a first (laughs) this is a podcast first we both are covering Google in the same yes in, in the same episode, and completely unplanned, we do not we, ba- we purposely that's actually the basis of this podcast that we started we talked about books so much in our text messages that we said, let's just have a weekly conversation, but now we don't talk we don't text each other at all about books anymore. Um that's awesome. So this is a podcast first. We're both doing a yeah. goal. So I did Dead Souls. What did you do? Just just reveal now. That. That's how we'll trash the format a little bit. What did you do? Uh well, I got to do use my own audio clip now. Okay. Diary of a Madman, I think, is what you covered. Yes. Nice. That's
1: uh, the Ozzy Osbourne album. That song was Over the Mountain, I think, the single from that album, but one of his uh, best known albums, Diary of a Madman, 1981, and also a short story by Nikolai Gogol.
0: There you go. Okay, so I'll I'll go forward with my thing. But yes, this is this is awesome. So I got I got my the reference because obviously I didn't remember season three episode three. That's when Rory talks about dead souls. Um, but yeah, this blog. There's a blog called Gilmore's Gilmored, which is um, you know it's just a nice blog because there's a lot throughout all of Gilmore Girls. Like I think I mentioned to you before, like in the in the Netflix revival of Gilmore Girls, one of her. Boyfriends is reading book two of my struggle, like in one of the scenes and stuff like that. So like the people who behind Gilmore Girls love to shove in the literary references. There's a few, there's actually, um, I think that there's even in one of the episodes, there's a reference to Confederacy of Dunces. And um, so there's a lot of good literary references. So I played that clip from Dead Souls. Um I know about Dead Souls not only from the Gilmore Girls reference but also just as like a classic of Russian literature and I do know that it's something that a lot of Russian schools require their children to read as my uh fiance and soon to be wife can tell you. Um yeah, she had to read Dead Souls for school. Um so let's just talk about Google Did it recommended. It came recommended, but it came recommended not like not like, oh, you got to read this book. She was basically just saying, you know, like, oh, yeah, like Gogol is, you know, regarded in Russian history as, you know, another of the great authors. Um, but, I mean, let's just talk about Google and, you know, my edition of Dead Souls a little bit. I have another question for you. And my okay. question is, um, when do you normally read the introduction of a book if a book has an introduction at all? Do you read it first? Do you read it after you're done with the book? Uh, that's
1: tough because sometimes <clears throat> sometimes it do, it's not really a good introduction. <laughs> or Correct. sometimes yeah. it feels like the introduction is like, hey, we know you've already read this and it's like supposed to be, you know, it, it's legendary. So let's talk about it as if you've right. already read it.
0: Right. Yeah, they're, they're usually rife with spoilers.
1: yeah yeah. so
0: what i do is i usually skip the introduction read the entire book and then if the book was any good and i want to know like more it's kind of like a behind it's like a dvds extra thing yeah you know where you go in and read the introduction so that's what i did with this book that's what i will continue to do with every book although i feel like with this book it burned me a little bit because i have the penguin classics edition Nikolai gold dead souls um And what I learned from the introduction after the fact, and probably one of the reasons... I was sort of kicking myself in terms of the podcast format um, with this book. Like I said, I struggled through this book a little bit. But what I learned from the introduction after the fact is that the edition that my fiancé was probably reading in school, and most Russians are like required to read, this collected Penguin edition is in two parts. And most people who have read other editions are probably only reading part 1 because part 2 stops mid sentence and is an unfinished manuscript that they now publish with dead souls like in like in two parts but Gogol did not finish part 2 and okay. you can tell <laughs> is it you no know, it
1: doesn't it doesn't make sense or
0: yeah oh well, not really doesn't make sense there's still like interesting insights interesting quotes I'm sure you found from your reading of Diary of a Madman that he has the classic, he has that classic author thing where he'll like just be going along with his story, but then he dips into a paragraph of like pure brilliance. Did yeah. you find that where it's like sort of just bumbling along, and then eventually you're like, whoa, that was super deep all of a sudden. Yep. So he still has that in part two, but part one is more of like, okay, this is like actually figured out, like the plot is figured out, and like what's gonna happen. Whereas part two, it was like. He's meeting with these random like people and blah, blah blah. And I was like, it was harder to read. And then eventually, I finished it. Rent went back to the intro, and I was like, oh, I probably would have even given up reading part two if I knew. So um, that's one thing. The second thing, I will summarize just Dead Souls really quickly, because uh, I feel like you know we're already thirty minutes in. But um, so what is Dead Souls? Why is it called Dead Souls? Obviously, like when you when it, when you say Dead Souls and it's like a a classic Russian novel, what impression do you get? Uh, It sounds pretty bleak. Exactly. So it's like, I am picking up this book. You know, the cover of the Penguin Classics Edition is like two sort of, it looks like down and out, like peasant type people. They're in, you know, ragged clothing and they're walking across a bleak winter landscape. There are some boats in the background and it's like, wow, dead souls. This is going to be incredibly serious. Nikolai Gogol, like this is the Russian author. They're so serious.
1: Yeah, I think the the cover that I've seen is just, like, a bunch of bones or something.
0: Right. Okay, so, and actually...
1: The river sticks.
0: And actually, Dead Souls is hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, it's, it's sort of a black comedy, but in the sense that it was maybe a black comedy for its time. But at this point, you know... I think at this point, in terms of dark humor, we need a little bit more than it just being about dead people and dead souls for it to be truly like black comedy. But the thing about dead souls is okay, so basically, what's happening is there's this character, Chichikov. And Chichikov is, first of all, Gogol does things with names almost like in a Pynchon esque sort of way. You know how Pynchon has like the really funny names that are like, you know onomatopoeias and like all these other things yeah so chichikov also there were there were endless kind of um footnotes in this penguin classics edition explaining the names because chichikov is like a derivative of first of all he has like a giant nose almost like a uh you know like a cyrano de bergerac type of like insanely huge nose and chichikov is derived from the russian word like to sneeze so it's like That's not a real name. Like, no one would be named Chichikov, but it's basically, like, a guy with a big nose that sneezes, like, every once in a while. So, those funny names go along with everything. So, there was always, like, footnotes of, like, one guy he meets is, like, this big, like, huge guy, and it's, like, his name is derived from the word for bear and the word for winter and, like, stuff like that. So, all these funny names... And basically what Chichikov is doing is, and I actually wanna research this a little bit more because I feel like there's a theme in Russian literature of a strange man coming to town and kind of stirring things up. It was the same thing in Master and Margarita where it's like, oh, there's this strange man in town who everyone is like learning and stirring things up. And Chichikov is the same way. Um, The Gogol describes him as uh, a man privy to the great secret of making himself liked. So basically what happens is Tchaikov, he can go into any town and kind of pick who are the right, like, influential people, start socializing with them, and all of a sudden, bing, bang, boom, he's, like, at the top of society. Like, that's sort of his deal. And what he's doing, um, for some unexplained reason through the first part of the novel, is he's going to all these different landowners. And this isn't a time when people still had, like, serfs, you know, like, servants And stuff like that. And basically, your wealth in society was determined by how many souls you owned. So basically, uh, you know, it's a callous way of referring to them in the novel. But basically, he goes around and says, you know, how many people do you own? Some people had 300. Some people had 10. Some people had 1,000. And that was sort of like the measure of who you were. And what Chichikov is doing is he's going to all these different provincial landowners and saying to them let me buy the people who are still on your census, but who have passed away. So basically it means nothing to the landowners, like their servants or their like, you know, workers have already died. And they're kind of saying like, there's this weird, really charming guy who's going around and buying up all of the people who are dead. So basically they still had to pay a tax on the people who had passed away until the next census comes. So in a way, all the landowners are sort of like, that would be great if I didn't have to pay taxes on these people anymore. But what's the benefit to you of you're just buying dead people like you're buying a piece of paper that says that you own these dead people? So what do you think the reasoning behind that would be? (laughs) I don't know why, but this makes
1: me think of hockey (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because uh, so there's like a cap on how much your salary can be for all your players or whatever but there's also mm-hmm. a floor and okay, sometimes yeah. if like a player is injured on a good team you know long term injury they trade him to a team in like a smaller market so that they can reach the floor cuz they right. I mean that sort of thing I don't know that's it's no, just yeah. weird
0: <laughs> no, it's 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 not it's not a, it's not a completely useless analogy because it's basically because I was coming from the world of Master and Margarita in a certain sense. I had recently, you know, finished that, and uh, that's an episode of the podcast. I was thinking to myself like, oh, he's got some awesome like otherworldly reason for why he's buying these souls, and like it's gonna come out, and it's gonna be so good. And I think I was reading like a little bit too much into the possibility of it being some sort of magical realism sort of plot, because really in the end, um, what Dead Souls is about is basically a a satire and a political, um, you know, discussion about corruption in local politics in Russia, because he's basically buying these Dead Souls because... The government doesn't care whether you're alive or dead. If a landowner says, has the deed for X amount of dead people, he's still a landowner, like in the sense of like, they kind of like castes of society. Mm-hmm. So in the end, that's kind of what Chichikov is doing. I was like ready for him to be like, oh, he's got to deal with the devil or like something like something like, yeah. you know, really fantastic like that. But really, that's kind of what he's doing. Like you said, the hockey thing. I stupidly my stupid analogy for this story is do you remember the plot of um, the the uh, the movie Black Sheep with Chris Farley? Yeah. So in Black Sheep, so, yeah. his his brother is running for governor and they find out that his opponent is using dead people's names to vote for him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's happened. That's happened in U.S. Yep. history that like politicians have used like a graveyard census to sort of vote in their county and stuff like that. So it's it's kind of like a trick like that where he's basically saying the government is so corrupt and so stupid and doesn't care about anyone that I can register myself as a landowner. And I own 500 souls, even though all of them are deceased. So I don't even really have an estate. Um, and he's kind of making a, a commentary about that. Um, like I said, you know, and you probably feel the same way, The Good goal. like, he goes into really interesting quotes. Like, I X the, you know, the side of the pages of, um, of all, like, the different, like, little things where he dips into, like, really great quotes. So, like, here's one from page 13 is... Uh, He's describing the government workers. So he says, on entering the hall, Chichikov had to squint for a moment because the glare from the candles, the lamps, and the ladies' gowns was fearsome. Everything was flooded with light. Black tailcoats flitted and scurried about, singly and in clusters here and there, just as flies scurry about on a gleaming white sugar loaf on a hot summer day in July, while an aged housekeeper breaks and divides it into glittering lumps before an open window. And the children, all gathered round, look on, their curious eyes following the movements of her coarsened hands, raising the mallet and aerial quadrants of flies sent aloft by a gentle breeze boldly wing their way in like rightful owners and take advantage of the old woman's poor sight in the sun that is bothering her eyes swarm over the tasty pieces here singly and there in thick clusters so basically what he's saying there is like he goes into this government building obviously mother russia is the uh is the woman dividing up the the old woman dividing up the bread and the government officials are these swarming flies all over the uh the beauty of russia so he does like a lot of like great metaphors like that um i have another quote from page 121 let me see here oh there's like i can't read i'm not going to read this whole thing but there's this great part where he dips into the idea of like you know when you were a kid and you took like a car ride and just like everything seems like really significant like when you were a child, like you could look at like blades of grass and it was like, wow, this is like amazing. Or you would see like a new town and be like, wow, like you would just notice like everything, every flickering window, every box of nails and you know, whatever. And he writes this long paragraph like that. and, And he ends it with this great paragraph, which I like is now I drive up indifferent to any unfamiliar estate. And I look indifferent at its ordinary exterior to my gaze. It offers no hospitality. I am not amused. And what informer, years would have brought animation to my face. Laughter and talk unceasing now glides past and my motionless lips preserve an apathetic silence. Oh, my youth. Oh, my freshness. So, you know, he has great little observations like that throughout that kind of give you jolts through what is an otherwise pretty like classic sort of novel. I thought a great other like one sentence quote that was really cool, page 195 in my edition, However stupid the words of a fool, they sometimes suffice to disconcert an intelligent man. I like that. Um, And he just has a lot of really great metaphors. There's another sort of long quote that I don't want to go through um, where he talks about uh, the academic sort of like intelligentsia of society is just as prone to... Um he's he's talking about these gossiping ladies in the town, and how once one theory is established in gossip, you know, like the whole town goes along with it, sort of like mob mentality. But yep. then he also likens that to the in, the intellectual academic community, where it's like at first, there's skepticism. but then really, once someone gets going, it just gathers followers and admirers, and it becomes the same bullshit that like no one questions. <laughs> um, which i I kind of like that. Um, and I guess. Uh, well, this will go to this this last thing that I want to read, which is like a full like half page of the beginning of the introduction. I wanted to read this whole thing, but this will be good going into because you also did Gogol this time. So this will be a good summary of of what I found to be true about Gogol as well. So this is an introduction in my edition, which I think is is a really nice summary of who he is and and kind of his place in Russian literature. So you ready? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Nikolai Gogol, well, Nikolai Vasilyevich Gogol Yanovsky, all those. Russian names is one of the strangest birds in the aviary of great writers although he is routinely ranked among the four or five masters of Russian prose fiction not a drop of Russian blood flowed in his veins. His personal life looks so uneventful that many biographers have strained to hear the sizzle of secrets beneath the surface but to scant avail. He was one of the celebrated chroniclers of food and literature but complained that his own stomach had grown in upside down and could handle a little more than macaroni. He strove for precision in his writing keeping elaborate lists of terms even asking asking. his correspondence to correct him, yet crafted a prose that was famous for ambiguity and then resented multiple interpretations. He lived in a foreign city, Rome, when he was writing about a provincial and rural Russia where he had never lived. He drew heavily on the mind and work of the 18th century of the Romantic movement, but created fictions with so many features of modernism and even postmodernism that we respond to him as a contemporary. Because he is so contradictory, so enigmatic in so many ways, people have always been impelled to ask, who is Google? What is Google? No one answer. No one answer has ever sufficed. At various times, he has been read as a realist, a symbolist, a fantasist, a comedian, a satirist, or a, tra- or a tragedian. Tragedi- okay, so one could easily imagine a history. Yeah, a strategist. And one could easily imagine a history of Russian literary criticism being written around the life and work of Nikolai Gogol. And I think that that is so true. Like when I was reading Dead Souls, I was like, what is this book? It sort of like defines definition with if it's, you know, real, fake, you know, a good, you know, a, a story that is about an antihero or a hero. Um I think he's just a very in-between person, very intelligent person, but also struggled with the, you know, like I said, like I read the second part of this book, and it's not like perfect, you know, so he struggled with his own writing. There's a few references in his biography to burning manuscripts, which we know famously from Master and Margarita, you know, manuscripts never burn, so his ideas were sort of always locked in his head, and uh, he went back and forth about the confidence of his own writing, and sometimes, honestly, it shows, uh, because dead souls was hard to get into i've taken up enough of everybody's time and i'm eating into your time mark so i will leave with my one star review from sarah goodreads she says and i there, i don't disagree with this but i also disagree with it just like the intro says it's sort of hard to define google sarah from goodreads says extremely repetitive and laborious it's like hearing the same old joke over and over until the person says knock knock and you just want to say go to hell <laughs> that's a good one So, agree with that a little bit. Very succinct, Sarah. And I will pass it on to Mark for more Gagol. All
1: right. Um, Yeah, yeah. And I was just going to, I guess, talk a little bit about more what you were saying. Like, when I've been doing research on on Gagol, it's kind of, he was like an outsider uh, Mm -hmm. in the the scene, I guess. Because, yeah, he was born in Ukraine. Right. And, um, yeah, he was like, I guess he was friends with... uh, Pushkin, like the a poet. Yep,
0: yep, he was. Yeah, I read some stuff about him being... But he was overshadowed, you know. Yeah, time. it was like he was like friends with Pushkin, but then Pushkin was... I think I read something where it said that like Gagol thought he was better friends with Pushkin than Pushkin thought he was. Like he oh. was like, oh yeah, I kind of know that guy. And then Gagol was like, we're best friends.
1: <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna... I'm just gonna pretend that
0: you didn't cover Google. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, tell me about Miss for Mad Madman because I don't know anything so, about. Yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I I got I,
1: gonna stick with my original intro. Uh, okay. So yeah, I, this week I was, or you know, I wanted to take a look at, the intersection of literature and music, and I wanted to you know, focus on I guess some hard rock and heavy metal because uh, I feel like there's a lot of examples of those two worlds colliding. Definitely. And yeah like with ozzy uh but i was thinking about iron maiden iron maiden has a ton of songs like that are based have their base in in literature and Mm -hmm. you know they've got songs like uh rhyme of the ancient mariner they got a album or a song brave new world lord of the flies uh Mm -hmm. the wicker man which is a movie but also based on a book i believe yep um yeah there's a lot of examples of of that rush yeah there's a lot of rush um so that's why I had my um, clip queued up. <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah. So I, you know, I covered the Nikolai Gogol collection. I actually read two stories, but I read the Diary Diary of a Madman and also the Overcoat, which are. Okay. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I'm I'm looking over my notes, and it's all stuff that. We've, we've talked about he lives in the first <laughs> half of the 19th century you know very influential on russian literature right dead souls like i don't know if you said but this uh dead souls came out in 1842 it did yep yeah these stories are f- written in 1835 but i don't think they were i think they were published at the same time as dead souls mm-hmm. or in the same year
0: yeah that and, makes sense because dead souls was he died while writing the like, second part so yeah it was yeah. like a jumping off point um So
1: this week I was actually working on like a new kind of lazy book report strategy, which is to see what pops up online when you just search for Google, see what people are interested in. You know, that's how we learn about things nowadays anyways. Absolutely. Uh, So yeah, you know how Google has suggestions for like what people also ask, that sort of thing. It kind of expands on what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. So let's see see what we got here. I'm going to pretend like it's a precocious child asking (laughs) so yeah what is people also ask what is Nikolai Gagol known for uh so Nikolai Gagol was a Ukrainian born Russian writer contributed to Russian literature throughout his magnificently crafted dramas novels and short stories he was one of the major proponents of the natural school of Russian literary realism Mm -hmm. so when did Gagol die March 4th 1852 what does Gagol mean there's a good one from the Ukrainian Gagol, that means wild duck or mallard, or a nickname denoting a wild fowler or acquired on account of some other association with the bird. Hmm. And that's wild fowler, not wild flower. It's a very strange word to see. Oh, wild know. fowler. Wild fowler. It's just the letters rearranged. Who wrote Dead Souls? <laughs> uh <laughs> what does the nose symbolize why is another question. And uh so that was a story in this collection that I have that I did not read. But right, the, no the answer right. was, um, it sounds like something that maybe your fiance had also had to read in school because it's like a question, that, you know, mm-hmm. uh it seemed like a question from like a student or something. But the answer was, it can be said that Kovalyov equates the loss of his nose with castration, emasculation, and impotence to a certain degree. His nose serves as a symbol of his own snobbery and pretentious attitude. The loss of his nose represents a loss of his identity. No. And while I didn't read that story, it's very similar kind of to The Overcoat. And yeah, I feel like um, just from reading a couple stories, I kind of get the get the feeling that his works are all... Um, you know, covered in, in meaning like that, mm-hmm. and it's not just not just stories.
0: Yeah, I think there's a quote like that. Like all great, someone said like all great artists basically write the same story like multiple times.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, as far as the Diary of a Madman, basically what this is, it, it it is written in like a diary entry style, and the the main character here is just a down on his luck down on his confidence down on his you know stability uh he's like an office worker an office drudge who just is trying to navigate his life when his mind is kind of falling apart on him Mm -hmm. and yeah yeah he's like a civil servant and he has you know right right from the beginning of the story like he he kind of talks about that he has feelings for like his boss's daughter Mm -hmm. and then just from that point from the like that's the that's the only part that you get that's kind of completely sane and then from there things just fall apart rapidly Hmm. and it's an interesting example of kind of experimental writing the way that it's set up because so it'll be like the the first part has an actual entry like oh october 3rd like this happened on this day and then it it just kind of i'll read a section from uh from this i think from the tail end of the first part you can see things are starting to kind of crumble cool because he hears a dog talk I must say I was quite surprised to hear to hear her talking. Later, however, when I had properly sized up the situation, I was no longer surprised. As a matter of fact, the world has seen many similar occurrences before. I've heard that in England, a fish broke surface and uttered a couple of words in such an outlandish language that scholars have been trying to work out their meaning for three years. So far in vain. Then, too, I read in the newspapers about two cows who went into a store and asked for a pound of tea. I'll confess that I recently have been seeing and hearing things that no one else has ever seen or heard. So yeah, starting, starting to fall apart and the the later entries become him reading, you know, these fake kind of correspondence that he thinks are from uh, dogs, you know, talking to each other and he just, (laughs) the entries start to not make sense anymore. He kind of jumps from, Whenever this is 18, 1830s to the year 2000, April 43rd of the year 2000. Whoa. <laughs> so I'll, I'll jump right to that. That sounds this is awesome. A day, <laughs> yeah. This is a day of great jubilation. Spain has a king. They found him. I am the king. I discovered it today. It all came to me in a flash. It's incredible to me now that I could have imagined that I was a civil service clerk. How could such a crazy idea ever have entered my head? Thank God no one thought of slapping me into a lunatic asylum. Now I see everything clearly, as clearly as if it lay in the palm of my hand. But what was happening to me before? Then things loomed at me out of a fog. Now I believe that all troubles stem from the misconception that human brains are located in the head. They are not. Human brains are blown in by the winds from somewhere around the Caspian Sea. Marva was the first to whom I revealed my identity. When she heard that she was facing the King of Spain, she flung up her hands in awe. She almost died of terror. The silly woman has never seen a king of Spain before. However, I tried to calm her, and speaking graciously, did my best to assure her of my royal favor. I was not going to hold against her all the time she had failed to shine my boots properly. The masses are so ignorant. One can't talk to them on lofty subjects. Probably she was so frightened because she thought that all kings of Spain are like Philip II, but I carefully pointed out that I wasn't like Philip II at all. I didn't go to the office. The hell with it no, my friends, you won't entice me there now. Never again shall I copy your dreadful documents. Nice. And yeah, so, so I mean, there's uh, some theories on what's actually happening to him <laughs> during this and that it's, you know, he is kind of been institutionalized and, but he's still, you know, entering in this diary and um, I'll just read I'll just go through the uh, the entries of the date, The dates. Okay. So he jumps from the year 2000 to uh, Martober 86, between night and day. No date. A day without a date. Can't <laughs> remember the day, nor was there a month. Damn if I know what's been going on. The first date. Madrid, Februarius the 30th. <laughs> Jan- January of the same year, which happened after Februarius. Wow. 25th date and then finally da 34 te month without an o y r like year hmm. february backwards 349
0: so basically he just deteriorates completely
1: yeah so i mean it's um i would say reading it is just kind of entertaining in that sense where it's like an experimental kind of postmodern type of story mm-hmm. with a a basic structure but it's it's just interesting to see the kind of things that he was thinking of and at the time and like you said he kind of can dive into a paragraph where you're like wow that was really really interesting
0: mm-hmm. yeah he's good at that he's like got yeah. that literary master like okay now i'm just gonna write something like crazy cool
1: yeah and then uh so so that's style of a madman and so the, this copy i or this book i have i think it's five stories and uh the one at the end is more of a novella uh Terra Spulba mm-hmm. but so the other one i read was the overcoat and that's just kind of a similar character but just with with more of his you know sanity intact
0: mm-hmm. but he's
1: just you know kind of a humble um worker who doesn't have i mean he basically sacrifices every like everything for for what seems like years of his life to a, acquire a nice coat, <laughs> a, <laughs> a nice article of clothing. Nice. Um, it be kind of becomes his identity, and it's just an interesting story. And I don't want to give away the ending of it, but um, it's interesting. I saw a quote from uh, Dostoevsky. Which was that all? All Russian realists had come from under Gogol's great coat. Hmm. So that's a nice kind of co-signing of his of his ability.
0: Yeah, he's definitely the like he's that guy who he's like one of those he's like the great Russian novelist who kind of came before the ones that you think of as the greats. So he was like, like he influenced Dostoevsky. So I would yeah. obviously say that Dostoevsky kind of maybe improved on the form of the Russian novel, but he was like the OG.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But awesome. um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh I think I should probably read something more than a short story to get to get a better idea.
0: Yeah. I, that, I mean, this
1: all sounds pretty great.
0: Dead Souls is good. Read part one. and okay. uh, and also, I'm sort of interested in because apparently in early in his career, he wrote, um, what did he write? Uh, bah, 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 Evenings on a farm near Dunkinka, Dikonka, which is apparently more, you know how I love like early books and everything. And apparently it's like a little bit more autobiographical. It's a collection of short stories that like establish his realist style of like, you know, I mean, just think of the title, Evenings on a Farm. Yeah. So it's like sort of, and I also think Google is a master of titles, you know? Dead Souls, Diary of a Madman. You just like want to read it, you know? Um, But that would be my thing that I'm, that that book would be the one that I'm most interested in. The, the uh, Evenings from a Farm. Nice.
1: Yeah, yeah, Dead Souls has a lot of power. Uh- <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I have a copy of that.
0: I actually I think keep I think organizing I have, these shelves here. <laughs> I think I bought it twice. I think I bought it once, and it's in my grandpa's house in Connecticut, and then I got it again.
1: Nice. Um, oh, I have a one-star review as well. So oh, okay. the thing about this is, like, there weren't many to choose from. I didn't mm. see, like, it had one of the highest ratios that I've seen for, like, I think it was, like, less than 1% of one-star reviews. So what I did was I had to, (laughs) one of the ones that I did see was written in a foreign language. So I decided to, you know, throw it into Google Translate and see what we had.
0: Right.
1: So user uh, Clawsover from uh, Goodreads says in Turkish, Although it is nice in some places, it is a non-fluent book that narrows people in general. I did not like it at all. Hmm. (laughs) Cryptic. Yeah, and I don't know if that's ref- I don't know what stories that's referring to or if it's in the, if we're just referring to it in general, so I don't know if I can speak to that. I think it does have a narrow the character, the scope of the main character which from the two I read was very similar main character is kind of maybe pretty narrow, but I think the world around him is is pretty large, so.
0: Hmm. I don't know. Nice. Well, it's a podcast first. We both covered Gagol, didn't know it. Yeah, that's...
1: So, Hmm. I just kind of picked it out of my stack of books for almost no reason, other than just the connection to Ozzy. So that's very strange that this happened.
0: Yeah, I mean, Dead Souls has been just basically based on the title and Gagol's reputation, again... I thought when I was tucking into this book, I was like, "I'm ready for some serious ass, like <laughs> crazy, depressing." I mean, I I I I picked it up going into the winter season because I was like, "It's going to be cold. It's time to read like a bleak Russian novel." Obviously, it defied <laughs> those expectations.
1: Okay. Maybe that. Maybe I think you were expecting Dark Souls. Yeah, That's something dark else. Souls. Yes. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so it's good it feels good to be back in the swing of things. Uh
0: 2020. 2020 back to reading a lot. All right. Yeah, I got a lot of stacked up over the holidays, so we're good yeah. to go.
1: Nice. Happy New Year everybody. Uh thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Shitty Book Reports. Probably the last of 2019. You can find us every Sunday on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher iTunes, Instagram, and Twitter at SBR the Podcast, and you can also email us at the email that we'll be checking more frequently now, SBR the Podcast at Gmail You know, give us your comments, suggestions, corrections. You know, send us your short stories or stuff you've been working on. Uh, maybe we can talk about it on the podcast. So. Cool. See
0: you. See ya.